Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and today we are talking um, a big topic and actually something we've not touched on on the podcast before and it's all about social anxiety and ADHD and I'm delighted to say that I have an expert in this area and it's Amita Mystery and she is a columnist a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist acupuncturist and now an author we've got she's got a fantastic new book out and she works with those who are affected by trauma and delivers mental health and trauma education to schools doctors hospitals and organizations and I think also one-to-one clients as well. So I'm just delighted to have you here, Mitta, because I think what your book is about, it can be so helpful for so many people, but especially in the neurodivergent community. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me on. So your book is called How to Understand and Deal with Social Anxiety. And I know that from speaking to so many people with ADHD, it's there. But Mm -hmm. For someone that's listening to this podcast, maybe they're new, maybe they're sort of still discovering ADHD themselves. What is social anxiety? And I guess, how does it show up for people? Yeah, okay. It's so, again, like you say, it's very, very common. It's the third largest mental health condition, disorder, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of people don't recognize it. So social anxiety is actually the fear of being humiliated, rejected or embarrassed in front of a group of people or just in front of people. So what it does is it creates this really intense fear, nervousness and overwhelm inside your body. So it might be that you have an event that you have to go to or you're going to be meeting some new people and you suddenly start to fear the worst case scenario that you're going to say something really ridiculous and you're going to come across really unwell. And then it starts to affect your body because your stress response kicks in. So you might start to feel shaky in your legs, nauseous, um, sweating, just generally feeling unwell, like you can't cope with that social interaction. So you then avoid it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, first of all, when you described that, that straightaway kind of interlinks with rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which is so prevalent with ADHD. And that is exactly, you know, so now I'm being able to make that connection that it can manifest as a social anxiety as well and, you know, live in our body. I mean, I have 100% experienced this, um, you know, with public speaking, making a presentation, you know, the thought of speaking in public. Something else that used to come up for me, and I'm just wondering if this is part of social anxiety, is I used to blush, like, really, really badly as a child. And I just always, you know, if I spoke up in class, if I spoke up in, in a work environment, I could feel this, like, rush of heat and it would just like it would be like a beacon of red to the point where people would be like oh my goodness Kate are you okay which then was kind of like a fulfilling 
prophecy of me not putting my hand up and not wanting to speak. Is that quite common with social anxiety, like sort of extreme blushing? Yeah, absolutely. So any sort of blushing changes to your physical appearance can actually be quite off-putting as well in engaging in those interactions because you think that everybody is going to notice it when actually most people don't notice it it might be just um, so in our own minds when somebody has social anxiety the actual fear of coming across unwell or that nervousness being spotted is a lot more amplified than it actually is in real life but all like you say by thinking those things we actually start to sweat more and blush more and then we actually start to fulfill that prophecy so it's almost like we make it happen our worst case scenarios uh, do or can come true so we need to recognize when we are starting to feel anxious because really uh, social anxiety is really about your thoughts it's your thoughts spiraling out of control about something going horribly wrong about you being rejected not being accepted and actually that is often more often than not far from the actual reality of how you do come across to people how you're perceived yeah I mean with with you know I can totally again relate because you know, when we've got ADHD, we live in our heads and we're constantly, you know, there thinking about all the what if scenarios, the ruminating, the catastrophizing, um, constantly thinking the worst. And, you know, from now understanding from a like a neuroscience perspective, we've got something called the DMN in our brain, which is the default mode network. And we, as people with ADHD, are more, we have it, it's like a louder, more kind of powerful version of it in our head. So we are always seeing the, it's the hypervigilance, it's that danger that we're always kind of alerted to and that's the stress levels in our body are always there. So I can now understand, you know, social anxiety is just part and parcel of that because we're always catastrophizing and thinking, you know, the worst. So you talked about thought and I know that you're a, a CBT therapist. How can we use CBT? to help ourselves like our ADHD we know we're born with it we're often undiagnosed for you know decades of our life and we are now in a you know a time of our life where we may be um, higher up in our career we may be older wiser we've gone through the mill a little bit how can we now with the awareness of ADHD utilize CBT and any other techniques to help ourselves Uh, yeah absolutely Kate so I think once you recognize that actually anxiety is really just your thoughts, which then have an impact on your body. So you have physical changes in your body because of your thoughts. So when you start to recognize those thought patterns popping up, so if you notice a negative thought pop up, if you're able to catch it and stop it from spiraling out of control, so stop you from ruminating, that's what CBT effectively is, is is about stepping back from from those thoughts and and actually putting more helpful thoughts in place. So if you think about it, it's not our fault, really, because we think around 70,000 thoughts a day. And we're on autopilot 46.9% of the time, which means a lot of our thoughts are just happening automatically. And our brain is designed in a way to protect us from danger, like you were saying. So our fear center, our amygdala is slightly enlarged and something that isn't even threatening will be perceived as a threat. And then it will kick off all the, the systems in the body, start you sweating, the blushing, all the rest of it. But if we know that and we can recognize that actually these are my thoughts. When this negative thought pops up, it can go down, take me down this whole rabbit hole where I'm going to feel so bad and not end up doing these uh, situations, not going into this presentation, not going to this event, 
or I can start to really help myself and really sort of start catching that thought and, and reframing it and saying, no, actually, that's not the reality. And this is where mindfulness is also helpful as well. So once you start catching these negative thoughts and reframing them and sort of breathing to sort of calm down the, the body's response to it, you're more able to um, take a rational more helpful approach rather than being led by your thoughts rather than react you're more you're in a better position you have more power to respond rather than react to what your thoughts are telling you which often are not really the reality of the situation yeah yeah it's so it's so helpful to know that we do have something quite simple to fall back on and I think with you know speaking from an ADHD perspective we have um this innate feeling that we're never living up to our potential. And I know from speaking to lots of people that it's quite, it's there because, you know, throughout life we've been undiagnosed. We've not quite understood why certain things have been more challenging for us. We've not quite understood why other people find things easier. And then we just, you know, looking at them going, "Why, why can't I do such a simple task? Whether it's social interactions, engagement, whether it's just, um, anything to do with, you know, relationships, friendships, definitely with the social side. And there's a potential there that we know we want to kind of grasp, but we just can't quite get there. And I just wondered, is there anything that you can help with? Because say there is something that we want to do, we want to accomplish, we know that we've got to kind of go out there, maybe do that talk, present something, um, you know, open ourselves up to new opportunities, but the social anxiety, it just gets the better of us. How can we, as adults, with the awareness of ADHD, now be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I want to move past this social anxiety and I want to be able to step into my potential. Because also just going into a room and networking, going into a meeting and being the best version of ourselves can be absolutely terrifying. We sort of self-sabotage and be like, no, it's just too much. And we kind of make, keep ourselves small. We, we stop ourselves from fulfilling what we want to do. Is there anything, you know, practical that you, you could offer? Yeah, absolutely. And I totally empathize with all of that. And with somebody who doesn't have ADHD, I've been there as well. And it is, it's quite a restricting on your potential. And it's quite uh, it's sad in a way, but we can be free of that. And there's so many things that we can do. And what I would say is, first and foremost, is tell people, tell somebody you trust, talk about it, be really open. And this is great that you're doing this podcast because it's it's an outlet. It's a way of, of really sharing and making people feel less alone and knowing that you're not alone, but also setting yourself realistic goals that are achievable. So not setting yourself up for failure, setting yourself up for success. So if it's presentations that you have a, a difficulty with, or if it's meeting new people, challenge yourself every single day to say, right, today, I'm going to talk to somebody new, or I'm going to talk to that person in a queue, um, not look the other way, or I'm going to say hello to my neighbor rather than run inside when I see them. Uh, Or I'm going to share something about myself today with somebody I don't know, or ask more questions. So there's lots of little things you can do like that in terms of building on your social confidence and and getting yourself out there a little bit more. So we call that sort of exposure therapy, where you start to do small steps at a time. Then once you conquer those, you can take on uh, larger goals as well. You know, one day where you are standing up in front of a room of people and actually 
uh, you're, you feel absolutely fine. But again, you know, there's lots of tools you can use even before those events, like breathing techniques or how you focus your attention. So people who have difficulties with social anxiety often even in a social situation say when they're interacting with somebody will be focusing on what to say next or how is that person judging me or how am I coming across rather than being in the moment and listening to what the other person is saying so that conversation opportunity is often missed as well so they may not come across as well because they're not really listening to the other person so it's really be becoming more mindful of how you are in that interaction and and just taking those small steps to make yourself be more present and challenge yourself with uh, little goals every single day to talk to somebody maybe somebody new doesn't have to be somebody you just pick up your the phone and ring a friend that you haven't mm-hmm. spoken to for a long time arrange to meet somebody for a coffee those little interactions can go a long way yeah and I think you know what like socializing doesn't have to be like a one-size-fits-all if you know going to a big party with loads of people is really overwhelming you know I just kind of think well why should we socialize in that capacity you know if we don't want to be drinking and we don't want to be doing that type of thing like you say connecting with people who we've you know are like-minded and again coming back to diagnoses later on in life is that we have often, you know, felt like, uh, to use sort of the cliche term, a square peg in a round hole. So when you are finally understanding how your brain works and understanding why, you know, maybe you don't have much to say to neurotypical people, but actually you feel really comfortable in the neurodivergent community, you know, like maybe seek out more connections there. And, And I see that a lot, that once women are getting diagnosed, they are creating their own communities, that they are niching down in their businesses, they're working with other neurodivergents. And it feels like this more of an authentic connection, which then then I think breeds more confidence in social in socialising because you're socialising on your terms and socialising in a way that feels right um, and also kind of like there's a belonging there as opposed to kind of pushing yourself into areas that just have always felt difficult, have always felt like anxiety breeding or building. So in a way, it's quite um, liberating to have the diagnosis because then we're able to socialise and be the person we want to be without kind of shutting ourselves down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think your techniques and your um, your tips are really powerful. Can I ask a little bit, because I know you work with trauma mm-hmm. and very much we, we hear people, you know, having traumatic events throughout their life being undiagnosed because they've not been able to understand themselves, understand why certain things have happened. Perhaps they've been in relationships with uh, narcissists. They've been, there's a lot of people pleasing, um, perfectionism. There's been, again, you know, the social side of feeling ostracized. And we don't always have to have, you know, traumatic events like huge big T traumas to, to feel like we've gone through trauma. Can you explain a little bit about how people may feel they've gone, you know, had trauma in their life, but more with a small t, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, trauma is very individual to a person. So if somebody feels uh, that they've been through something which is traumatic for them, then that's trauma. It doesn't need to have, it doesn't have to be something very big for example, it can be witnessing somebody being bullied, it can be witnessing emotional abuse in the home, it could be growing up where you weren't physically abused yourself, but your mother was bullied by your father. 
So that might be considered as a little T, but that's actually a big T to somebody because that's traumatic. That in itself is trauma. So trauma is very complex and I think it's very individual. So yes, there are certain big ones, you know, like being in a car crash or, you know, witnessing certain acts of crime. Uh, being homeless, um, witnessing poverty, growing up in a, a poor environment, not having access, being abandoned, etc. But little teas are, you know, things like, I mean, bullying, I wouldn't say is a little tea. I, I, and no trauma is a little tea. If somebody feels traumatized, it's trauma. Uh, there's no size around it. Trauma is trauma, just like pain, pain is pain. Um, so even bullying is, is trauma. So, so many... Many people go through life being traumatized and not realizing it or putting a word against it because, again, we've been conditioned to not talk about certain things or just get on with that. Why is that traumatic? That's not traumatic. But actually, if it really affects you at your core where you feel like you don't belong, you haven't been seen, you haven't been validated, then that is a traumatic experience. If you haven't had access to support or a supportive network around you, or a loving family, anywhere where you have felt, any situation where you have felt alone or have had to suffer in silence on your own, the chances are there will have been trauma around that as well. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's so validating for people to hear this because, you know, they may have been in situations where it has been dismissed or they feel they feel like they've um, there's been gaslighting. And I think maybe just not being seen as who you are. I'm just interrupting today's episode because I want to let you know about a brand new workshop that I am planning. It's called Tapping Into Your ADHD Gold and it's happening on Tuesday the 14th of March at 12pm UK time. Now I speak to so many of you and so many of you tell me that you feel like there's unfulfilled potential, that if you'd known about your ADHD you would have done things differently. And now with this new diagnosis, we see life and our desires through a new lens. I want to help you tap into that goal that has always, always been there. And sometimes with ADHD, we don't know how to get out of our heads. We do often come to a point of self-sabotage. And I really want in this workshop to help guide you through those limiting beliefs, those old stories that have been holding you back, the knowledge that you didn't know that was there and help you come out of that stuck loop into those amazing desires, incredible ideas that you have and get them into action. Now, this can be about your career. This can be about your lifestyle. It can be about anything that you want to start living to that full potential. So if you are interested, this is a new way of working with me. This is a two hour workshop, by the way. So we will have a break in between, but this is going to be quite deep, powerful work. We're going to be going into the old beliefs, the old stuff, and we're going to clear and we're going to release. We're going to use some EFT. We're going to really get into the nooks and crannies of what you believe has been holding you back. And then we're going to start using some really powerful visualizations, manifesting desires, talking about the things that we want and really coming up with an action plan, practical steps and ideas. So this can be anything with regards to a business, anything entrepreneurial, but it can also just be about changing your life. Now you understand your ADHD brain better. And included in this prize, I'm offering an accountability live group session with me the week after. 
So this is going to be another hour with me really going into the practical steps. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you want to bounce some ideas off with the other group members and really get you over that line. So it's called Tapping Into Your Gold. It's on the 14th of March. It's 12 till 2. And then the week later, it's just going to be an hour. So that's three hours with me. Go onto my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk or head to the show notes and all the details are there. Also, I hear from, you know, women again who are sort of in their 50s and 60s being diagnosed and their whole life is now making sense. But then they have to go through a process of grief, of piecing it all together and piecing like the what ifs and all the things that perhaps, you know, could have been different. Would you say that is, you know, there's a validation there of being going through your life and kind of realising that there has been traumatic events. And, and I guess what what do people do when they discover that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's part of the healing and recovery process that at some point you you do have to sort of dig into your childhood, into your past and understand those wounds, where they've come from, which do shape your behavior, shape your experiences. But it also gives you that understanding of, of ah, those light bulb moments. This is why I'm like this or this is why I behave like this in certain situations and it's that self-acceptance when you get to that place of well this is me this is who I am and you get to that self-acceptance it's almost like you can find it in yourself to forgive those people that wronged you that labeled you or because that's all they had at that time that awareness or knowledge wasn't there so if you can get to that place that can really help in your healing and in your recovery, but that might take some time, you know, to unpack all of that and in, in depending on what you've been through and what support you have. But I think it's really important and it's possible for people to go through that process and really come out a lot better and stronger for it as well. Yeah, I mean, there's it's definitely, there's a healing process, isn't it? And it's really being able to lean into, like you say, the stuff that, can't be changed we can't change our past and we can't change all the resources and the knowledge that people had in those days and you know who knows what we're going to be discovering in 10 years time you know even just the knowledge and the insights of ADHD in women over the past couple of years you know since I was diagnosed when I was diagnosed um two years ago it I felt shame there was stigma there's taboo I mean I'm only just feeling comfortable talking about it in sort of social situations there was I was so embarrassed I was like how how have I got ADHD like how's this only just been discovered and you know breaking the the stigma down for myself of it being you know lazy disruptive talkative um disorganized like all the words that you have heard over um over you know the decades of hearing about ADHD in in boys and and I guess kids, it it did have an impact. So just having a diagnosis of ADHD, just to be able to sort of sit there and kind of recognise, actually, this is it's big. Yeah. And some women feel hugely at peace with it and validated. But I know that a lot of other women do struggle with the process of the diagnosis. And also, I think the trauma of waiting, like the moment the waiting lists are just so long. And I hear from a lot of women who are like, finally, I've realised what, what's been going on for me. But actually, I now have to sit for three years of doubting myself and going backwards and forwards. Like I'm waiting for the diagnosis, but 
for them, the self-diagnosis isn't enough. They need that sort of stamp, that that approval from a doctor. Mm-hmm. But I try and, you know, I've got a community of women, a membership, and I try and say to them that you don't have to have had that that doctor's you know, diagnosis, if you are relating to ADHD, if you feel that the self-diagnosis is enough for you, you're reading and you're understanding and you're thinking that's me, that is enough for you to be able to come and ask for support. It's enough to ask for the resources and connect with other people. Um, so yeah, I think I think this this whole conversation is is very helpful, but also really validating. Um, can I ask from a, a personal perspective, what made you want to write a book about social anxiety? Is it something you've experienced in your life? Is it something just you see a lot of in your practice? It's both, Kate. So it's something that I really struggled with um, as a child, uh, right through to my teens, quite bad because um, I was bullied and I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, I'm obviously a woman of colour, so I faced racism. So again, I didn't feel like I belong. So it's going back to that not being seen, not being validated, not feeling like you belong. So that's what I know where it stems from. So that really had an impact on me and how I um, avoided social situations because I just felt like I wasn't good enough and I don't belong. So that's partly why I really wanted to write it because in my practice, I'm seeing a lot of it now more than ever particularly since the pandemic, if you think about it, we've been told for two years not to socialise, not to see people. Imagine what impact that's having on people's fear and anxiety levels. So social anxiety is huge at the moment, not just with young people, but also with adults. And I'm seeing it so much more. And a lot of therapists are. And based on my own experience as well, I just thought, you know, I, I've overcome it. I've got through it. And I wish I had a book that I could turn to where I didn't feel alone and I sort of had something to read that was comforting that made me realize that actually this is quite normal. A lot of people go through this and there are things that I can do to help myself. That's why um, I wrote it. And and so far, I mean, it's been out since the 8th of September and it's really, really helping people a lot, which is great because that's what it was designed to do. Yeah. I mean, do you sometimes feel that despite being the expert and you've written the book, do you sometimes feel, you know, those warning signs kick back in or maybe something, you know, that reminds you of being, you know, the feelings of being either bullied or ostracized or not feeling like you fitted in? Does that sometimes kind of creep back in and you have to kind of do a bit of a check in? Yeah, absolutely. The thing is, Kate, with trauma, when you've experienced trauma, anything can be a trigger for it. Um, And if you haven't healed from it, then or it can still linger around as well. So, yeah, sometimes, you know, if I'm um, going into a social situation that I'm not certain of, it can't those thoughts can pop up. Like I may feel a little bit triggered. like Oh, but then I have the tools and techniques now to and the wisdom to break out of that cycle. So it will hopefully never get to what it was like when I was a child, I've not been in that place. Um, But yes, we are human after all. So no matter how much work we do on ourselves, there are going to be times when we might feel a little bit triggered. And that's okay. But if we've got those tools in place, we can do things to manage that and, and have better outcomes. 
Yeah, I mean, one of my tools is, I mean, I, I use EFT all the time and I'm an EFT practitioner. So whenever I feel triggered or I feel that social anxiety kick in, um, I just do a little bit of tapping. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had many clients who've come to me for public speaking and they've, come, you know, we've done a, a session or two. And when it always goes back to childhood. It goes back to either, you know, being ridiculed in class or a teacher shutting them down or being bullied something small or you know something happening in a in a Christmas show and they felt the audience was laughing and then we go back and actually the situation wasn't as big or as bad as awful as we'd kind of conjured it up in our heads mm. but sometimes like you say we sort of store it we store it. it's like a, a memory bank that um, sometimes we think we've healed from or we've processed and then a situation will occur and it will you know takes takes us straight back you know to being eight years old feeling really vulnerable um, and I and I have it still. So I, I go back and I just do some tapping. But another technique I use, which I don't know if it's a CBT technique or or something, else, I just literally talk to myself out loud and I give myself a bit of a pep talk and I call myself Kate. I'm like, Kate, you have this. You know what you're talking about. I tend to, I tended, you know, not so much anymore, but before my diagnosis, I used to put people on a pedestal. So anyone that had more education, more qualifications, and anyone that had any form of degree that was bigger and better than mine, I'd be like, well, they know far more than I do. And there's, what have I got to say? I've got nothing to say apart from, you know, I just, I used to just be so intimidated. And now I am able to put that into perspective and understand that life wisdom and that we're all, you know, on the same even playing field. So I give myself a little bit of a talk and then also someone I heard say, and I can't remember who, but they said that, some, you know, our bodily sensations, um, we we fit like n the nervousness and the anxiety and that, you know, stomach churning and all the all the things that we fear when we're in that kind of very scary place of anxiety can often be um, reframed as uh, excitement. So if we're really passionate about something and we really want, you know, especially I know that with people with ADHD, you know, if they are working in something they're passionate about, they will go hell for leather with it. You know, it's like a bit of a hyper focus. And so if we have that passion and that excitement, we can kind of, you know, give ourselves a bit of a talking to and reframe it. Is that uh, is that a CBT technique? Like maybe you can make it a bit more refined than what I've just yeah. done. Yeah, absolutely. So you can reframe. So what you've described there essentially is uh, stress. So stress can either be positive, toxic, or, you know, we, we all need a bit of positive stress to get us motivated and excited and get things done. So um, if you reframe it as this is positive stress, you know, I need this stress in my body. So I'm, you know, my fight, flight, freeze response has been triggered and I'm feeling that uh, churning in my stomach, the nervousness, but this is positive stress because I need to get things done and I'm really passionate about it so yeah you can reframe it in in that manner for sure mm. as well so it's, yeah. kind, it's kind of like you know when you're about to go on a roller coaster and I mean I personally hate roller coasters but I know that people you know they sit there and they can see the huge dip and that like fear and excitement in their body and it kind of sometimes feels a bit hard to decipher but 
you know, we've put ourselves on that roller coaster because we want to experience the hit, the dopamine and all of that, the adrenaline. So I guess it's trying to really break it down a little bit and understand, you know, if we've got to a place where we are, you know, just say you're doing a TED talk, you're 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 really passionate about what you want to talk about. Yes, it's terrifying, but we're the end goal, the achievement that we're going to get from that, the social situation of putting ourselves out there or, in a, you know, meeting new people can often outweigh all the, the fear and the dread and the worry and the what ifs um, so for yeah. example just going back to that if you were in, say you're invited to a party if your thought is oh my god nobody's going to like me mm. see the thought process and the feelings that are going to follow you're going to not want to go you're going to dread it but if you reframe that thought to oh I might meet somebody new that excitement feeling uh, is generated that process so you can actually literally shift gears in that manner as well yeah so tell me how do you work with um do you work one-to-one do you do group work how how do you work and how can people find you yeah I do one-to-one I do um group work as well and um I do presentations workshops um, and people can find me on Instagram although that's a little bit uh, not so worky, but that's fine. Um, it's me to mystery there, and I'm on Twitter at me to mystery. But again, I don't know where Twitter's going these days with the new takeover. So yeah, yeah. Well, I will make sure that we've got the um the link in the show notes, and just remind people what the name of the book is if they want to go and buy it. It's called How to Understand and Deal with Social Anxiety. It's published by Summersdale, and it's available in Waterstones, Urban Outfitters stores around the country. And it's available to order on Amazon as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Mita. It's been fascinating. And um, it's been, I hope, a very helpful conversation for lots of people. I hope so too. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation. And it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration, and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.